0: You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from OnV Invest. For more information, go to onviinvest.com.
1: What's up, you guys? Welcome to another episode of RE Social Podcast. Today, we have a really cool guest. I'm actually a big fan of Tall Yarber. Um, you guys would have known him if you watched anything on Bigger Pockets YouTube. Does a lot of uh, flips. Uh, I believe he calls himself the recovering flipper. Hey, Tal, welcome to the show.
0: How's it going, Vince? Thanks for having me. Thanks, and man. Nice. Drew.
1: He's here. Drew from Kansas is here. Um, I wanted to um, usually give people like a little 90 second, like if you want to
0: explain your background. You have 90 seconds, Tall. What do you got for us? Oh, I only need an hour, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> No. Hey, thanks for introducing me. Um, and thanks for having me on your show. The uh, the short version of it is, yes, I have done a lot of flips, uh, a little over 600 or so, give or take. Uh, and I would, would I call myself now, now a recovering house flipper. Uh, mainly the last couple of years, I've been focused more on cash flowing assets because uh, I'm recovering as a house flipper because I've been addicted to the fix and flip income for so long. Flipped a lot of houses before we even kept our first rental uh, I didn't keep my first rental until about 2016. And I wish I kept a lot more, especially now, right? Uh, we also run an events company called Fixated Events. We host a conference called Limitless. Uh, and in June next year, uh, you can limitlessexpo.com for that. Uh, and then we also have a lending business, Fixated Funding, uh, where we lend to experienced uh, borrowers as far as investing is concerned, mostly hard money. Oh, nice, man. Limitless, that's with Kenny, right? Uh, that's yes. Kenny is with me, just to be specific. No. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, ways. Ken Macro and I were partners on that, uh, and the we run the entire event. Him and I partnered on it uh, in January last year. Uh, we were at a bar in Laguna, complaining to him about how I need to run this conference. That we used to we used to have a conference called the Big Badass Real Estate Wealth Expo that we ran in Seattle uh, for years pre-COVID, and then when COVID hit, we switched it to virtual expo. Uh, and just to be able to like not lose money because we had so many financial obligations running a large I mean our event usually had between a thousand and fifteen hundred people into it so not to make this about events but there's a lot of financial obligations that go into contracts and stuff with venues and uh, different third-party companies when you're starting to run a conference that size so we had to scramble uh, make it a virtual expo to save to basically not lose money Uh, and then after that i didn't do one again until i decided i was going to do one in 2022 got a uh contract set up for arizona uh to do my conference and i didn't want to do it i was actually pretty like dragging my feet on it and then i bitched to ken about it and ken's like i have this kind of weird idea for this event uh for financial stuff and i'm like cool let's talk about it and then we completely transformed my expo into limitless instead so that's the short that's- how did you get involved with uh, Ken? Uh, Ken spoke at my 2019 expo, and him and I immediately uh, hit it off. Uh, there's a group that him and I belong to called EO Entrepreneur Organization, uh, and wow. he's been a part of it for 30 years. Um, and when we met at my expo in person, because of our friend Andrew Lenoy, uh, there's Mike Ayala and Andrew Lenoy run a company called uh, uh, Three Peaks um, Three Peaks Investments. They do mobile home parks and stuff uh they're buddies of mine and they're good friends with Ken they were coming out to speak at my 2019 expo they said you want Ken to come out I'm like hell yeah I want Ken to come out and so Ken came out we became best friends for life and I consider him probably my top two closest friends
1: so. wow that's really cool man so you know uh, uh I'm going to the one with Jason Hartman are you coming to that one in Scottsdale no, no, oh no, no yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's that's a totally different uh uh ball Is it Jason Hartman's event? Yeah, I forget the name but it's uh, Ken will be there too. Um, yeah, Ken and, Ken and it, friends. Yeah, him and this another guy they they all hang out together all the time. Um uh, but that's cool man so let's talk about you enough about events. Uh, so
0: how did you get started how did you get involved with uh, flipping? The short version of it in 2005 I went to a sell-a-thon, uh called the Real Estate Wealth Expo had 40,000 people there. Donald Trump was a keynote speaker. uh, And they also had a whole bunch of other real estate gurus there. Tony Robbins was there as well. Uh, Russell Simmons was there. A bunch of big VIP type speakers in 2005 back up before the last crash. Uh, And I bought seminar. So I bought a seminar on wholesaling real estate, uh, put that on my credit card. And then I uh, basically went out and did what the seminar said to do, door knocked, did all that crazy stuff. Uh, third wholesale deal I did was a hundred thousand dollar, uh, double and closing deal. So double, si- uh, double close basically. Uh, and then I stopped doing it for years after that, cause I hated it, made my money stopped. And then long story short in 2010, I got back into it full-time in Seattle, uh, and partnered up with some buddies of mine. And then we started flipping in multiple States got really crazy with it during the REO days, uh, real estate owned foreclosures, and just went to town. We were in seven states at one point.
1: Nice, man. What was going on with you that you decided to go to the seminar? In 2005? Like, uh, yeah, or were you like not working at McDonald's or you know, yeah. like what were we doing?
0: Yeah, so I was a uh, broke college student. So I was 20 years old at the time, and I was going to college, California State University, Sacramento. Uh, and I was also doing Air Force ROTC. Um, I was gonna be an officer. Uh, that's what I wanted to focus on. And then I read a lot of books. Uh, always wanted to run my own business. Always wanted to run, um, you know, make money. Basically, I grew up pretty broke. Uh, and Rich Dad Poor Dad, I read at 17. So it always kind of stuck in my head. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki was speaking at this conference. So I drove down to LA, which is where it was, uh, mainly so I could see Robert Kiyosaki. I had no idea what a sellathon was. Um, and I'm calling it a sell basically where like we've, most of us have been to it where it's like, it's only a $200 mm-hmm. ticket for a three-day event. Wow. That's a huge deal. Well, the reason why is because they're going to sell you a bunch of shit. So, mm-hmm. um, that's a lost leader. They do it for marketing wise. Uh, and it's actually really hard to make money on events without selling stuff from the stage. Um, the, so I went to that and I was young and I was excited and a bunch of big, huge speakers and crazy stuff and run to the back of the room and everybody's running to the back of the room. And, uh, so I thought I should too and um i wanted to make money and the guy that was speaking the right stuff sold me on the right thing and then i just dove head first because it was all my money i didn't have any money so i put it on my credit card uh and i was freaking out about that so basically i had in my head i had 30 days to make all that money back or else i was going to go bankrupt or something even though it was only like 1500 bucks <laughs> but um but as a college student it might as well have been like fifteen thousand bucks or not more but uh so yeah, that's why I did it. And then got to work on it, door knocked, uh, terrified, cried in my car, right? Would do laps around a house like over and over again in the in the blocks and never knock on the door, walk all the way up and down the driveway and then leave and never knock on the door. And I uh, was terrified, right? But I was just trying to make find a way to make money.
1: You know, we have uh, something in common, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you, you know, Vinny Chopra, right? Oh, Vinnie Sharper is like, he's got like a billion dollars in real estate. Anyways, so, but uh, I used to door, door knock and then sell books door to door. And I used to sit in the car and cry by myself too, because, and then I'll walk around, and I'll be like, oh, should I get into this store? Because they're slamming doors on your face. And I came back and sold books again. So, that, you know, learned a lot. Can you tell us about like things that you learned about yourself? Because I learned a lot about myself from doing this for two summers.
0: Yeah, I hate knocking on doors. I learned, I learned that right away. So yeah, you done that. Yeah, uh, honestly, a big thing for me is that, like, just growing up as a kid, my parents never wanted to bother anybody. So like, they were always big on, you know, I have a brother and sister, and like, you know, just hey, don't bother them. Hey, quiet, don't bother them. Like, hey, uh, like when we were in, even taking sending food back in a restaurant, well, you're not allowed to do because it bothers the waiter and waitress. Like, everything was about like just be. Uh, let other people live their lives you live your life don't bother other people basically and so it was so ingrained in my subconscious that i felt like i'm knocking on this person's door that i'm basically disrupting them and their entire lives for something selfish of mine and uh so that was that was kind of a wake-up call for me it was also a wake-up call to realize nobody gives a crap who the hell i am and they're really not thinking about me five minutes later after i leave the leave knocking on the door so uh all of it was built up in my head all the fear all the anxiety uh all everything it all had to do with what what i thought of what other people thought about me so at the end of the day uh, most of those fears were from me uh worried about what some stranger thought about me right uh at the end of the day and so i mean what's the worst thing that is going to happen sure they can what are they gonna pull out a gun stick the dog on me like Maybe, right? But mm-hmm. I highly doubt that's going <laughs> so, yeah, to happen. So It happened to me. Yeah, see? It happens, right? Yeah. Um, and then you just move he, on. He
1: ended up buying a Bible after that, though. So it was yeah. pretty good.
0: That's good. See? It worked. right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot about that. And I also learned that my car was the best um, education that I ever had because I would just listen to CDs, CDs at the time, uh, sometimes cassette tapes. And I was just while I was driving around, I was just plugging my entire brain into personal development and different business CDs and didn't really have podcasts back. Actually, they didn't have podcasts back then. Um and so I was just putting my entire car into a university while I was driving, knocking on doors. Uh and then I also learned that I get really fixated on something that I'm gonna go do it. So um that was what, 17, 18 years ago. And looking back on it, just that tenacity for one learning to not care what other people thought was a huge deal to to overcome and it took a long time to get to that point uh and then realizing and accepting that nobody really is thinking about me to begin with so what the hell does that even matter uh and all people care about is what you can do for them at the end of the day and if i came and knocked on their door and i had a solution for them because these people i was knocking on their door like these are people notice a default right and in california that was okay to, to do that you can knock on those doors uh, at the time so if i had a way to be able to help them get out of not getting their house foreclosed on then um then i was coming with a solution and if they didn't want that solution then that that's their problem not mine and it took me quite some time to get over that though um yeah hope that makes sense yeah man that um definitely makes sense Drew, did you have a question on this angle was that at all I was gonna say, but just so you know, when I got back into real estate investing, I realized I'm never knocking on doors. So the <laughs> uh, that was the other side. I realized I'd much rather just buy the house <laughs> and not have to worry about um, what wholesalers do out there. Wholesalers, you guys uh, actually have to know more and go through more, in my opinion, than most any other type of investment strategy out there. Uh, just because of the crap you have to deal with on a regular basis to source off market deals, and it doesn't matter what asset class you're focused on, it takes a lot to find off-market deals that takes a lot of knowledge takes a lot of energy and effort you got to go marketing negotiation you know have to know how to analyze the actual deals themselves how to deal with us buyers and rbs too right you gotta know a lot so it's a lot of work to to be a successful wholesaler but it does pay off nice man um My uh, follow for you know uh, when I
1: was using uh, selling books and stuff like that, I I learned a lot of more personal development than actually making money from selling books, right? So that was that was uh, my takeaway. And I was the looks like you had similar things you um, had about yourself, and you didn't want to knock on doors. Uh, Now my next question is. You did 600 flips. How many flips did you do before you owned one your first rental property for yourself? <laughs> like almost, That's almost, almost 500, <laughs> almost 500. Right. So yeah. who did you meet or who did you talk to uh, that, you, you know, because you said that you went to see Robert Kiyosaki, he would have immediately told you, Hey bro, you don't have to sell 500 houses. You, you should start owning stuff. Right. So why did it take you so long? And then after that, what was that point And how did you jump over the fence?
0: So, I saw Robert Kiyosaki in 2005 when I was 20 years old. Just to be clarifying, there he never talked to me or knew who I was. Um, mm-hmm. But the in 2000, end of 2010, when we got into real estate, and then 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, like just going hardcore. Um, it took me for me. I didn't really get into flipping houses because like I made some conscious decision of I'm going to flip houses. Right uh, for time's sake, that story is way too long to break down all the nuances of the people I met, Mm -hmm. the circumstances to get me to a point to where uh me and these two dudes were flipping houses together. But the short of it was like we were doing it for money, right? I never did real estate as an investment early on in my career. I was doing it to make money and that was it. Right. So I never looked at it as like, oh, we can like buy this property and get depreciation and then have cash flow and I'm like, uh I can sell this thing and make 25 grand right now. Yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do that. Right. And then Let's do it again and again and again because this is now paying our bills. And this looks, this is really cool. And we have a ton of volume. Uh, oh, we make five grand on that one. Whatever. Flip it to somebody else, right? Like, oh, we're going to make, we we might make 30 on this one. Cool. Let's actually flip this one and keep it ourselves. I uh, keep it to flip instead of uh, selling off to somebody else, wholesaling or whatever. But, and we just kept doing it over and over and over again. And my first rental that I kept in 2016, I still own to this day. That one was just more like, I just looked at it differently one day and I was just like, maybe, maybe we should keep one of these. And I pulled out the bigger, believe it or not, the bigger pockets rental ca- calculator. Uh, cause I didn't even know how to calculate rents, <laughs> I never even looked at this stuff. And, uh, so I plugged it in there. I'm like, oh, we might cash for like $400. I'm like, well, we don't need the money. We got lots of money. So that's fine. Let's look at keeping this one. And, uh, so let's do this burr strategy thing that Brandon coined. Uh, and, when it came down to it, went to go do the refinance, we had to come to close with 7,600 bucks uh, to close. And and I was like super pissed. And this is on the refi when, we, when we're when we done with the rehab. Uh, and I was pissed because to me, I just spent the last, what was it, five, six years of my life where every time I come to close, I get money. And now all of a sudden I'm being told by the escrow that I have to come to close with money. And I'm like, this this property is losing me money. That's how I thought mm-hmm. about it. Right, mm-hmm. and we were cash flowing after it was rented out. Uh, I think our cash flow on it was like six seventy a month or something like that. So you know, you do the math on that; it's almost a hundred percent return on your on your money, right? So on the money that's left into the deal, uh, and my wife is the one that said I was an idiot, and then we came to close with the seventy six hundred bucks after the refi, and we still have that property to this day, and we've split it off into different parcels, or we've done all sorts of crazy stuff with that thing. But um, and it was all because we made that one decision. Uh, looking back on it, I wish we made that decision sooner, and I wish we did more of it.
1: Yeah, man, I actually very clearly remember watching that episode. You have that episode on Bigger Pockets, right? You break down the numbers. Yeah, I probably do. Yeah, I yeah, too, yeah. Many, too many of those. <laughs> so, okay, so I have I, I wrote some stuff down while you were speaking really fast. So this is this is the main concept of our podcast, right? You quickly brushed it along, like as so though everybody knows it. I know it, Drew knows it, you know it, but I want you to break this down for people. You said, I was doing these flipping as a means to make money. And then at some point something triggered and then you said, oh, wait, I should be investing. So can you explain to people what's trading time for money
0: versus like investing? Yeah, you, know, you got active income and passive income, right? So, I mean, the the IRS spells it out to you pretty clearly on when you do your tax returns, um, but, if you're trading your time for dollars, then basically, you know, flipping kind of does that. Now, you could do flipping how we do it now, where I actually am not trading my time for dollars. And because I have people doing it for me, but I've traded their time for dollars and I've just basically bought their time. So I create a business around that to where uh, essentially somebody's time has to be put into making that active income when it comes to flipping, whether it's your contractors, your project managers, uh, yourself, right? Whatever. And you're just making a paycheck at that point. Uh, and you'll never make money on that property again once you sell it. And that was a big wake up call for me years later when I look at back on how much some of these properties are worth today. And I'll never make more money on them ever again. Um, so that's that active income trading time for your dollars. And now that said, you got to eat, right? And I just want to put a caveat on this was one of the things that recovering house flippers actually have a challenge with. And this is anybody in kind of commission sales, right? Uh, and that's kind of what a house flipper does. is If you stop flipping, then how do you pay your bills if that's your main source of income? And you're like, oh, I'll just buy rentals, cool. How many $200 a month or $300 a month cash flowing rentals do you need to pay for your lifestyle? Oh, I need a hundred of them (laughs) or whatever, right? So that's a little hard to come by if you're not also like eating while you're uh, trying to build up that portfolio. So it's hard for some people to transition into that um, and do a balance of it. On trading, you're like basically having your dollars work for you to get back time that's more of a wealth building strategy. So you have income versus wealth, just to summarize it. So house flipping builds income, uh, housekeeping, I guess, or building a rental portfolio builds wealth. Uh, and if it's the right portfolio, that is. So looking at what we've done with our rental portfolio over the years, uh, the ability to have that, yes, that appreciation, but also have that cash flow uh, that's coming in. Essentially, since we started keeping those properties in 2016, all the other rentals, I was breaking this down to a buddy of mine the other day, all the other rentals that we own uh every one of them we've never used money outside of the rental business to buy more rentals like we never really needed to since then most of our properties are birds so um when we would sit there and like even even we would all our rents we'd be getting all the cash flow the cash out refis we would get we would just put that back into rentals and it all started from the first three rentals we bought in 2016 and and to this day, I could say that like I haven't taken I haven't even taken my active income from my flips and put it in the rentals. Um, it's just been from my rentals putting it back into rentals, right? So it's kind of a cool little thing that if you build it the right way, but size point, but what that's done now is that that investment money is being invested again into other investment properties to make you more investment money, right? Um, if that's what you're trying to get at. So that's building wealth, right? And I'm not having to work for that. That said because I'm a kind of a details guy. Uh there's people that own a lot of rentals that work their ass off too, right? And there is is a misnomer to think that passive real estate is passive, right? There's only certain forms of real estate that's passive and that's typically um not if you're the one that's the main landlord. Like even if you're hiring property managers and all that kind of stuff, typically you still have some sort of like active role in some capacity whether it's bookkeeping or dealing with the property manager or whatever, but um You have to put some layers between you in order to be truly passive or you have to invest in other people's deals like as an lp or something like that limited partner um but that's me getting too detailed i think because my brain works that way
1: no it's really good man so if i there's no such thing as passive
0: real estate sorry just throwing that out
1: there (laughs) um if uh if i had to break down what you were saying is there's two different things right so one is the irs classification of income right so it does earned income active income versus passive income so you get a tax advantage if it's passive income and you can use all these deductions depreciation write-offs to kind of cancel out so you can almost go to like a net zero uh in terms of uh, your income coming in so that actually makes you live off less income than actually active income the other the other Interesting thing is the wealth building stuff. It's I would say it is impossible to be wealthy by just working without investing. Doesn't matter how much money you make. You can make two million dollars a year. Guess what? You'll be paying one point one million in taxes, like in California, right? So then you're going to have a high lifestyle. You're going to spend it all if you don't invest. If you don't invest, if you just even save the money, let's say you save five hundred thousand, it's going to erode on on inflation, right? Oh, so. Yeah. So it's like uh, the the monetary system, the central governments, the centralized you know money printing, all these things have set up in such a way the economy, how it runs it's almost they it's not even almost they penalize you for not investing because yep. you don't you're not promoting economic activity right so that's what I tell people so like you were saying you have an active income which is the flipping. Which is active, you make money, you need to buy food. You gotta you can't tell your wife, wait for the next month's rent two hundred dollars to come in. So you know, oh, she yeah. can buy groceries, it's stupid. So otherwise you need like hundred rentals, right? So
2: Yeah, stay. to build on that, you know, the government mm-hmm. also penalizes you for holding cash, but rewards you for holding real estate assets, yeah. especially. Um and I think for the listeners, it's important to even talk about that just briefly, and I'm sure you're um experienced with with all that now that you're you're buying and owning for since two thousand and sixteen. You know so what 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 did that look like compared to I mean you're you know selling notes and then you're flipping and you're getting hit hard with taxes. I don't want to get super deep into numbers, but just like what what has been the difference in terms of your your taxable income since you started buying and holding? Well, grown-ups
0: have depreciation. So, real investors do, I guess, right? Uh, I was joking with a buddy of mine. I was like, "All I want to do is I want to buy a building that doesn't make sense to me, and the only reason why I'm buying it is for depreciation." That sounds fun, right? Like and that what that means is you have a very high active income, and you have to basically just take a half a million bucks or a million bucks or whatever and place it into some property that you're doing it just so you don't have to pay taxes on that money because you want the depreciation, right? and i'm like that's what real investors do (laughs) right i want to be a real investor one day uh and so the the depreciation is a huge factor of true real estate investing and and it basically is the tax code telling you hey this is how you don't pay taxes depreciation i have friends of mine that make a tremendous amount of money that haven't paid taxes in over a decade now why is that? People are like, "Oh, they're cheating the code." I'm like, "No, no, no. Their businesses pay taxes, whatever. Things happen, whatever. But like uh, they have payroll tax. They have, you can't get away from all that stuff. But your personal income tax, you can totally get away without paying because if you invest all your money in real estate and other there's other tax codes out there that protect you from paying taxes. So if you make a million bucks and you go buy a $5 million building and then cost seg it, you're probably not going to pay taxes that year, right? Cuz you on that million dollars because the tax code says you can do that. And so, um, so that said, it's a huge benefit, huge profit, uh, profit stream, basically, because not paying taxes is basically extra money. So what changed on my side of things, going from active um, to more of a passive strategy, uh, on the active side, for some of the people that are like full-time jobs and they're investing on the side, you're, you probably don't get qualified as like a real estate professional on your taxes. Uh, If your full-time job is investing, then you can get qualified as a real estate professional. Why that's different is that if you're flipping a house and your main source of income, I'm not a tax attorney or CPA, don't quote me, this is my experience. Uh, If your main source of income is, I don't know, your doctor or whatever, and you flip a house, you're not going to be able to write off any expenses from that income that you make from that flip because you're not, it's not your business, right? So you can't really write off business expenses through it legally. Some people do it and they'll get caught. But um, but if you're making your main source of income on real estate, then you can call yourself a real estate professional so that you can write off everything, right? You can write off your car, you can write off your cell phone, you can write off all sorts of stuff. So there is a way to get a lot of depreciation or deductions from that, but it only goes so far. Like how much are you get to write off, right? You make a million bucks, can you find 900 grand in tax write-offs, right? Uh, that's really challenging to do. It just basically meant that you didn't make any money um so you need that depreciation to offset that so and also when you're getting taxed as a passive income bracket uh it is less right and also if you go to sell those properties later you're getting taxed on short-term or long-term capital gains depending on when you sold it uh and then you also have the chance for 1031 and the 1031 has been a big play for us that we've really enjoyed since keeping the properties you can't 1031 a flip uh and I'm just gonna throw this out there too just because I see comments sometimes on my videos on YouTube uh, where people say you're not calculating the capital gains tax you're paying on your flips, right? Uh, spoiler alert, you don't pay capital gains tax on flips. I just want to throw that out there. You pay uh, income tax on flips, no matter how you set up your corporate structure. So, um, but like I said, I'm not a CPA. I just want to throw that out there.
1: So, yeah, if you if you do the flip, hold it for a year, rent it, and then sell it, you could do the capital gains. But, you know, your, intention, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: your intention needs to be that it was a rental. Yeah. And I'm using that it, word purposely. So.
1: but even even if you did that tall they're going to look at your books and be like this guy he's the flipper okay. <laughs> <You're> not, <laughs> yeah. 500 flips in 10
0: years yeah get him you know no you, yeah they're gonna be like that's not that's out of the ordinary so um, yeah. and i'm not going to go on a podcast and explain how to do tax evasion. know. So. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> hey, you know for that
1: you know uh, listen to our episode with uh amanda hahn yeah yeah is <laughs> uh hey i had a question man so uh so you, you started doing all these flips that, you know, and so, you know, Drew and I, we have like under $10 million assets on management, made like 30 doors all in California. We are trying to go further. So you went to this conference, you, you, you know, you, you're like doing a few flips. How did you go from that to being buddies with like Kenny? Like, it, it like what was the trajectory? Like, was it like over 20 years or like, was it like overnight you're in Laguna? You both of you are drunk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Both of us. Oh, mm-hmm. well, he was uh um, The, the short of it is i don't know we all have our superpowers in business and um my superpower is strategic networking so in, in reality it's like if i want to become friends with somebody or meet somebody just give me a little bit i'll meet them. and now ken Mcroy was not on my list i do actually have a list by the way uh, mm-hmm. ken was not on my list and he, he just wasn't right and so but he should have been robert kiyosaki was on my list Uh, and I doubt, and I do now know him, but, um, I would, I would, I would much rather be friends with Ken McElroy, uh, than Robert Kiyosaki. So no offense, Robert, but, but there's reasons for that. I relate to Ken a hell of a lot better. Um, Ken is a good friend, right? Ken is legit. Like when you watch this video, he is who he is, like everything about it, like him and I just relate a lot better to together. Um, so I'm happy for that. But the, the reality is, is that uh, my events company actually has helped a lot with me meeting really cool people over the years. Um, you know, my best my best friends, Brian Turner, right? Him and I are from Bigger Pockets. Uh, you know, I considered him my best friend. So why? But I met him through my events business, right? We in Bigger Pockets. I actually met him through my events business before I was even really associated with Bigger Pockets. Uh, and so it's you meet these people, you build good relationships. I met a lot of other really high level people over the years, and. What you find is that once you kind of meet them if you have a commonality then you just like how can you be friends the the challenge that i think people have with meeting cool people is that they have something that they want from them and that and you can smell that shit a mile away if you're one of those cool people right this person's talking to me because they're like they're leading me because they want something from me right they just want a picture with me or they want to they want to know and i've seen this with some very high level friends of mine like people don't really do people don't do that to me i'm not that cool but But I've definitely seen it with other people and they, and you could smell it, you could sense it and you're like, stay away from, but if somebody's coming up and they're like, one, just chill. And two, they want to become friends and, uh, and they legitimately have an interest in who you are as a person and they give value to that person. Then that person's more likely to, you know, reciprocate in some way. One of the values that I've had is that if I run a cool event, they get to speak at it. Right so that also helps bring value to them uh i know people that they want to know right um but it doesn't hurt too if i don't know if you just want to be friends and you don't even really care about the business side i don't know if that makes sense um, brandon ken all those guys we could have never done business together and i'd still just want to i would still have them over for thanksgiving <laughs> like we'd just be friends right i don't know if that makes sense
2: yeah yeah i love that i just like to kind of go into You know lessons for anyone listening um so i'm going to kind of lead you on this question what impact has networking and just meeting other people in the industry had on your particular investment portfolio your level of success it's everything so and i say that because my my
0: acquisition strategy uh, for years revolved around networking so the i did what what i was good at so i'm like all right well This has nothing to do with meeting high level people. This is also networking with local people. So the, if I met, if I went to a meetup right somewhere and I'm a buyer, right? Then I want to go network with people that have deals for me to buy. So if I just go up there and be like, Hey, I'm cool, but give me your deals. That's one thing, right? Versus like, Hey, I'm not only cool, but if you ever want to drive any of my properties that I have going on, and if you ever want to, if I know you want to meet for coffee, but like, how about we just go meet at a project instead and I'll show you what we're doing there. Right? Oh, hey, you have questions on how to like analyze something like that, send it to us. We'll do it for you. Uh, and in return, just give us first chance on the deal, right? So part of it was how do I the wholesaler might think or the realtor might think that they need to give me value. And I'm like, no, no, I'll give you value. Just make sure you give me all the deals that you find, right? So networking also with everybody around me, like that I can because i I do want something out of them. I want the deal, right I want the deal that they bring. But if all I do is if I spend a bunch of time with some of these wholesalers or uh, you know realtors or whoever, and they get, I get nothing out of it, but I help them with their businesses, and that's fine, right? It's just what it is. Um, um, you don't know who's going to do a good job in finding you a deal. You don't know which squirrel is going to find the nut, right? To be able to bring it to you, you have no idea. So you just make a wide net and be cool to everybody, right? Um, so that's one. Two, money, money helps a lot, right? So. Uh, if you need to actually have money to buy deals, it's very, I did, I have a whole presentation of'd be like, Hey, this was like to buy 10 deals in Seattle. Right. And you need to put 10% down on each of them on a 90% loan to cost flip. You need like $600,000, right? Anybody got that lying around? Most people don't. Right. So instead you need to go borrow that from other people. Right. So the, and you either got to do it with lenders or you need to do that with private money, or you got to raise capital, start a fund, whatever, right. You got to find that way. So you got to network. How do you network with high net worth individuals that have money to give you, right? And you know, I have kind of a rule. Don't ever, you know, don't take somebody's last dollar to invest it in real estate. Like that's ridiculous. You want to have, you know, an emotional issue. I want to invest. I want somebody to invest with me. That's okay. Sorry, not okay. Wrong word. Um, that understands they can lose it, right? Let's just put it that way. Uh, and that's accredited type people. So need to, you need to be able to network with them. So how do you find them? So if I couldn't have done any of the deals I've done, without being able to network with people that have money to give me, right? For lack of a better word, or standard or statement, what you wanna say it. So that's also huge. Um, and I can go on and on about that, but the doors that open up, the relationships, the networking, you know you build a good relationship with somebody, they know people, they refer you out to people, you build good relationships with them. But at the end of the day, your reputation's everything when it comes to that. And bad reputation spreads faster than good reputation. You can build a great reputation and have it destroyed in less than 60 seconds so if you how do i say it like it's like with contracts right joint venture contracts partnership agreements whatever it doesn't matter what the contract says right if if how do i say it like it doesn't matter what the contract says like if you're a shitty person you don't give a crap what the hell the contract says like you're just going to break the contract and have to go to attorneys at this so like just If do business with people, you can just shake their hand with, right? Now, don't get me wrong; I still get contracts, right? Everybody should have something in writing. But if you can't like shake their hand and trust that they're going to do the deal, then why would you do business with them? If you wouldn't let them babysit your kid, why would you even let them babysit anything in your business, right? So, I I, that's kind of my mentality uh, with relationships and networking, and also don't was it do no harm kind of a thing, right? So, if I'm going to go out there and give advice to somebody, then I'll make sure it's good advice. If somebody needs help, then I'm going to do my best to help them where i can uh, but do no harm while doing it it also means no do no harm to myself also right it goes both ways and because some people just want to take 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 and you got to watch that don't be that person and don't let other people do that don't let other people do that same thing to you so i don't know if that that
2: was a rant yeah no i love that i love that you're you know you're saying lead with value yes and then you know put it out there and then of course you're going to find those individuals who align with you, is there, I'm all about, you know, higher, slow, fire, high fast. And there are a couple of particular things that I look for, um, but this is about you. So I was kind of curious, Tarl, if uh, what are some of those markers of like, okay, I kind of want to find out more about that person, maybe work with them. What are some of those maybe character traits or qualifications? Do they like to snowboard, scuba, rock climb? Like, any <laughs> that. Hell yeah. Um, there's there's
0: some really cool people out there on social media and really cool people on stage that that i i just wouldn't care if i ever met them or not right and it's i i have a different thought process on that kind of stuff like i want to collect friends right and and it's a bonus if they are also like legit business people right yeah they also have to have like-minded uh values right and what i mean by that is you know similar not The same values as mine but similar on the same path do they do they want to strive to be a better person do they are they the person that screams at the freaking waiter or waitress like i don't ever want to hang out that person like i'll leave right away if like somebody was a dick to a waiter or waitress for no reason so like those type of people i don't care who they are i don't want to do business with you i don't care what you can do for me like i don't need that in my life right and so if somebody's just super cool got great values right in alignment with what i believe right in some way and not what i believe wrong words um in alignment with what i want my life to be like like they love to go do cool stuff they take care of their kids like if they have kids um they're nice to people right they want to become a better person they want to grow and develop themselves versus like crabs in a bucket while they're pulling you down and negativity and all that stuff i don't care who you are i'm not hanging out with you uh my ex-business partner back in my ex-ex-ex business partner i've had a few partnerships (laughs) uh, became that person. So we, and just as an example, I would never do business with the person in a million years, uh, after they've showed who they were, right. If I show up to this person, as we started making more and more money, all of a sudden started getting into drugs and, uh, you know, other things. And so, and for me, if I met him as a outsider into this type of stuff, then I would, I don't care what deals they have. I don't care what money they got. I want to do business with them because I don't want to be around it. And so, which is number one reason why that partnership failed. But
2: definitely, I think so it's, it to a clarify, character, yeah, character, yeah. And I think for me, um, yeah, it's very aligned with kind of what you're looking for, which is growth mindsets. You know, it's much easier for Vince and I to have a conversation or a partnership or any kind of relationship with people that just have a growth mindset and just have a bit of a higher bar or a higher standard as a I think Tony Robbins said in a book, where he's like, you know, it's just raise your level and then, and meet, meet yourself there. And then also keep that same high standard for others. And, uh, which is not to say, you know, they have to be super successful and rich no, to be friends. It's just like, just, they have the desire to be 1% better than they were yesterday. That's, that's it for me. There, there are
0: some of my favorite people would not be considered successful on a financial level, but they're successful in life to me. Same. And the, you know, it's I've met some incredible people that they couldn't tell you anything about business and finance whatsoever. Right. I, I think that's the misconception that most people have as they see people in these social media outlets or or they or what they see on TV or on stage. And they're like, I gotta be that. That person's doing more than me. I gotta be like them. And they're comparing themselves to all the for spoiler alert, a lot of people are fake, right? Just want you to know yeah. that. Uh and they're comparing themselves to this. Fake world, right? That doesn't really exist uh, because that person on social media cares what you think of them at the same time more than you think of them. And so we compare ourselves to this way too often on a business sense and entrepreneurial sense. um, And it creates a lot of turmoil inside of us, uh, most entrepreneurs, because we're comparing our success to others and versus what's good, what's your success, what matters to you. My wife and I at the end of 2017 realized wait, we were just building our businesses and spending 100 miles an hour. Just to make more money, but for what? We didn't know why we were doing it. Like literally, we're just doing it, right? We're just, okay. We did forty houses. Now we got to do like fifty, right? Oh, now you're doing like we just you just got to do more, right? That's what you're supposed to do. Why would you Why would you do less, right? You're supposed to do more. Um, and so I asked that question, and it changed everything. Our entire business, our lives, our sanity. Just to go like, no, we don't need to do more. Like, let's do less and go travel and actually live our life. It's like no. After 30 years of grinding, then I can go do that. That's dumb. Screw that. Like you might not have 30 years, so do it now, right? And so enjoy your life today. And who cares what
2: other people think of what you're doing? Yeah, I guess. So. I love that. Well, speaking of growth mindset and growing and and all that achievements, I'm just kind of curious: is there like a uh, a five year goal? It's like a long term goal. No. What
0: is that? <laughs> I'm so bad at that. Like no, no, no I don't have that. Uh, my team wants that right and <laughs> we, we operate on a eos entrepreneur organization system uh and i uh, sorry, entrepreneur operating system sorry uh yeah traction and we operate on that and it, and that system wants you to have three years ten years all that kind of stuff and uh i sat back with my team i'm like you guys want to help with this part like because <laughs> like so in, in traction and eos has visionaries and integrators um and i'm definitely more of like a, i coined the term i'm a visionary of integration so uh you can have an idea i i'm not the spark let's just put it that way like i could take somebody's
2: spark and make it a forest fire um, but somebody else has to come up with that spark is that why you and ken uh partner and are so aligned is he kind of uh, like the opposite in that way he came up with the spark for the event yeah he's pure visionary pure visionary and he came
0: up with the spark for the event but then i was able to take that and just set that thing with gasoline and build it into what we've done now so the, it's a good format, Brandon Turner and I run, uh, three to four masterminds a year together. And, but the, and, and if you look at our partnership with it, I run 95% of the mastermind. Right. Uh, and probably 90 plus percent of everything we do in the mastermind comes from my end, but the spark of the mastermind and the spark of the initial idea all came from Brandon. And so and I'm like, Oh, I like that. I could take that. Let's, let's do it. Right. So it's it is a shortcoming on my side. Um, I definitely have visionary stuff in me, but like uh, I do a lot better when somebody I respect and trust says, I have an idea. And I'm like, I love your idea. I'm going to go destroy that idea, right? And make it a, make it even bigger
2: and better and grow it. That's cool. So, so it do- sounds like without you defining it as such, you figure it out. Like you mentioned, it's a, it's a shortcoming, right? And it sounds like you're finding those people and aligning with those in partnerships who counterbalance that who Mm -hmm. maybe that's their strength is that spark and i think that's a a really cool point to uh to chat about which is you're creating partnerships with people who aren't like you aren't the exact same skill set or even mindset maybe just the growth mindset of course you know but you're finding and aligning with people who balance your skill set out and I think that's a really good point something that took me too long to figure out it's part of the reason why Vince and I have done well together he's kind of that guy where he's like we're doing this this deal here's what we're doing here's the a, a, here's what I want in AUM and then you know we get the deal and I'm I'm I'm, I'm you essentially I'm forced to now figure it out like right, here's our PITI here's what we can yep. do here's the move here's the plan A B and C and, uh, or we just killed the deal, whatever it is. But yeah, that's uh, just something uh, I wanted to stop and that point works. out. Like, that
0: it, it's, I mean, you could, if you have a business of nothing but visionaries, nothing gets done. So we <laughs> need some integrators in there. Uh, yeah, yeah man. I, I
1: I heard this somewhere. I don't know who said this, but it says people before profits. Um it's like that's that's like uh, it's very similar to what you're talking about, right? That's very important to me uh, as well. Uh, trust, people, relationship, those things are like you know. Drew and I are best friends, so you know, money is almost, it's, it's immaterial to me. Like, uh, if, you know, something happens and we need money, I will sell everything just to, you know, make sure that the other person is all right. So that's, that's like, um, is that like, kind of like the thing you go for too, like you go for those character and people first before, like what they are
0: valuable in and stuff like that. Yeah, totally, I mean, they're like, yeah. they gotta be buddies, right. And yeah. like, you, you gotta be, you're married to them if you're in a partnership. So it's, uh, just to kind of like, take a step back. Like I used to not be this way at all. Like I used to not understand partnering. Like it didn't make sense to me because my entire focus was flipping houses. So, and that was it like for years, like I flip houses, this is what I do. And you know, Brandon and I created the, the Maui mastermind in 2019 and we had 28 legit, awesome, great, super duper crazy people. Some of them you named to me prior to this podcast that were on this podcast. Uh, And the, uh, everybody there like actually, actually that's where open door capital was created which is brandon's company was at that mastermind uh, and because people were partnering up people were talking about let's do deals together i'm looking around I'm going like i'm not doing deals with any of you guys like just give me the deal like i'll buy it right that's fine like what are you bringing to the table more money i don't need it you going to operate it no we'll do it better like so it's mm-hmm. so i didn't understand it i'm like you have to bring something to the table you can't just like partner because we're friends that's dumb um that's how i felt about real estate Right. And then it took me until 2021 to, you know, probably I'd say March, 2021 uh, at one of our masterminds in Maui. I mean, some of these people are my absolute favorite people in the world. And we're sitting there in Maui and I'm looking around, I'm like, what is wrong with you? We, I, sh- I have some of the coolest freaking friends, right? Why wouldn't I be doing business with some of these people in some way? We should be thinking of stuff like that to do because we would never, none of us would ever screw each other. We would all like, Even if we just made some money, it would be fun, right? Just to do it, right? And uh, it it took a long time in my career for me to like switch over that mentality of like, hey, not everybody needs to be, okay, well, I brought in exactly this. You need to bring in exactly that. And what are you bringing me? Like that kind of stuff. At certain levels, at certain high levels, you should be thinking like, is this going to make my life just more enjoyable, right? And am I going to have more fun and less stress doing business? with these people uh it doesn't always have to be about more money and like if it's if you're in sales for instance like uh, this is a good example we do this with our loan officers is like you can go make more money selling loans for somebody else yes but you have to do like all these things right and you're not hanging out with us cool people if you work with us you can do half of those things right so you can just go focus on what you're best at in sales right uh, and you get to hang out with us cool people because we do cool stuff, right? So it's like, is it more fun and less stressful even though you might make a little bit less money, right? So you just do more, more volume. So that took me a long time to figure that, out, which was also why I never understood like people that like did funds, right? When they didn't do high volume, um, especially on single family. Like if you're starting a fund and like, I have a $10 million fund for single family, right? I'm like, why do you have a fund, right? That's how I, that's, I don't understand it, right? Like it's just because you can make more money just doing private, lending having other people just give you money on debt instead of a fund right um it was the same concept for me like thinking about why would i do business with somebody and give them half the profits if we could just make all the profits that's sounds way cooler and so does that make sense what i'm saying like
1: yeah definitely makes know. sense it took me a i had a, point. no it's good man i we I like these kind of conversations it's uh you know people listening can follow it you know it's, it's great to talk to neil bauer and you know these guys but People can't relate to. He has four thousand five hundred houses. What does that mean? Like, I can't do that, right? But if you say like, oh, you you do or not, and then you cry in the car, like me, and then you bought like flips and stuff, that people want to, you know, it's it's the American dream, right? Anybody can do it. That's why I like this country. So I have um, a quick question I wrote down was very very technical question is, you know, uh, the values and accredited investors, right? So what are you doing? Uh let's
0: say you have a meetup in Seattle. Is that where you live, Seattle? Uh no, I live in Texas now. Okay, so Texas. My entire business is Seattle based, but I moved here uh, in June.
1: Okay, so you you have a thing in uh, Texas and then let's say you throw a meetup. What are you saying in the meetup or uh, to invite these accredited uh, investors and then what are you kind of talking about in the meetups or the events that they want to partner with you is it is it you're a cool guy you have a blue eyes or what is it what is it happening
0: uh it's probably my eyes yeah probably the uh, chest the, and the eyes yeah yeah for sure <laughs> um that's a good question i think that's a different question i, g- I give you the an answer differently just because um yeah you know, if you're just setting up a, a ria meetup locally in your area right it's kind of hard to structure that in a way where you're just going to go attract like 50 accredited investors which you can right you totally actually mm-hmm. can't there's a way to do that uh it's a lot of work and and whatnot but so that that would be the first thing like if you're only reason you, if you're ever going to do an event now caveat we used to run five meetups a month in seattle we were the largest RIA group in the state of washington so i have a little bit of experience in this um but uh but it all starts with like what's your intention for the event right like why are you doing it if you're doing it just to network with people in general and meet other cool real estate people and drink beer, then cool, right? Have fun, right? If you're doing it because you want to meet 30 new accredited investors every time you run the event, then you, that all comes back to marketing and how you're marketing the event to attract those type of people, right? And then when they're there, like how are you not going to waste their time, right? So that they come back again or you get what you're looking for from the event with them being present. So those are all things you have to really plan out and think through. So is there anything specific that you're asking? On that, yeah, go down some deep rabbit holes on this stuff.
1: <laughs> so, no, no, no. So we we do have host events and stuff like that. So we attract a wide amount of people, and you know, we talk to a lot of people on the podcast, like Brian Burke, and uh, a lot of these high level guys. Business. They yeah he he, he um uh, he, he most people tell us that you know my my passion is like helping middle class americans and uh, getting them like to a, a place of financial security because my family's middle class true's family's middle class and that's where we come from right but uh, the the problem we run into is uh, people with middle class or poor they are that way because of the mindset it's not because they're not smart or it's not because you know i'm i have a six-figure job two has a six-figure business right but it's still middle class because if you're doing middle class things right so when we do these events and we don't have a very clear criteria we tend to talk to a lot of people who don't have that kind of mindset so but we want to grow and obviously buy 100 million dollars of real estate right so we need people who we can partner with so that's that's the angle i'm going for so who do they want to meet they want to meet the guys who can give them the opportunity to be
0: that way, right? No. Oh, so the accredited investors?
1: Or, or, you know, they could be regular
0: investors too, you know. Okay. Like, so like it depends on, so if you, if, you know, if you want somebody that is an accredited investor, then you got to ask you, that works as a, whatever the, whatever your local market dictates. A doctor or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. See, so I'll use Seattle because I know Seattle. Seattle okay. full of tech workers, right? Although mm-hmm. they're all moving to Austin right now. Um, so so Austin's full of tech workers, right? So the Bay Area, whatever, OC probably has a bunch of business owners. Um, so who do, if you're in your if you're in a tech savvy area, like who are those? Who's your persona, right? Is it your persona, your two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year tech worker that has a lot of disposable income, looking to you know, hoping to get a hundred thousand dollar investment out of them for as an LP in your fund, limited partner? Um, is that your persona? And like and they're they're watching YouTube all day, they they cruise on bigger pockets, they're interested in real estate. Who are they, right? Because sometimes those people that might have the money, they also might be interested in doing their own deal, and then they're not going to give you the money, right? And so are they wanting to be passive because they're so busy with their own businesses or their own jobs that they can't invest uh, in their own deals? Would they like to invest in their own deal, but they know they don't have time, but they have all this extra capital, so they'd rather just invest it with somebody else while they go find their own deal? Like, So what's that persona? And then once you nail down that persona, then who do they want to meet and what kind of event would they go to? So, uh, and can you put a, pull it off? So if you're looking at high, high level people, right. Who are they going to want to listen to? Is it going to be tax stuff, right? Is it going to be, can you host an entire event, how to make passive income and stuff like that in real estate? Maybe they're looking for that. Well, cool. That passive real estate event just happens to be how they can invest their money in your fund. Right. And so there's, and then it all comes back to marketing. It doesn't matter how cool your event is. If you can't market it and get people to show up, it's a shitty event. Right. So the Uh, where people fail, right? In my opinion, on meetups in general is that they don't market it. And so, uh, or they don't market it correctly in the right way. Uh, And one of the questions I always ask people running their meetups, I'm like, okay, how many people do you have showing up? Let's say they say 100. I'm like, cool. How many of those are returning? And and they go, I don't know, right? Well, that's a fact. That's a failure point. You got to know how many people are showing up to your event regularly, right? If you have 100 people show up every month, you're like, I'm crushing it. But if only 30 of them are returning and the other 70 are new, then I'm like, cool, you have great marketing, you have sh- a shitty event <laughs> right at that point, because nobody wants to come back. Or it's like, oh, I have 100 people show up, and it's always the same 100 people. Cool, you have a great event, but you're not marketing it, right? So you can grow it. So you have to build those uh, funnels, and it all depends on who you're tracking. And then who do you know is showing up or not? Like, do you get data on the people that show up to your event? Uh, so you know where they're at, right? Do they know? Do you know what they invest in? Do you know what they're interested in? Uh, is there a way you can collect this information from them? Right. Maybe you can only get a sample size of them, right? Because not every, you don't want everybody to spend 20 minutes filling out a interview sheet when they show up. Right. So there's, but there's ways to, to mitigate that and make that even faster, uh, through technology, uh, as well. But that data is super important. The more events you do, if you're doing it on a regular basis, cause you can use it, you can leverage it. Um, and then you can make adjustments, right? I don't know if that makes sense or the answer that you're looking for, but that's no no
1: it definitely makes sense it's uh it's very similar to a lot of the high level guys They you guys all think uh you know very similarly so that's that's really good i know we're running out of time man uh drew
2: do you have any final questions uh yeah i would like to kind of get into the why um what's what's your why what was your why what's your why now like before you right. got started <laughs> and how about today pay my bills
0: um <laughs> the that's a good question so I never really, I mean, I was, I actually, honestly, that's a tough question. Struggling with the why for, for years, um, pre real estate, even I've been self-employed since I was 20, uh, haven't had a real job. And other than I did work at Sears loss prevention in college, right. At one point. So, um, so my entire career, I've been self-employed in some capacity. Uh, and, and that why question was always like. What's your why? What's your purpose? That's what's as a, as a business owner or a salesperson. That's what's going to get you out of bed and do the work you need to do, or push past those fears and blah 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 bullshit bullshit. So, uh, and I can never answer it, right? And then I realized that I'm really good at helping people find out their why, though, right? And I'm really good at helping. This is where that spark comes in. Like, hey, somebody else has an idea. I'm going to jump on it. Somebody else needs to come up with an idea. I'm going to ask them tons of questions to be able to help them figure it out, right? So I'm really good at that. But my purpose. For me, what I've selfishly, for me, uh, has more to do with my current state of mind, right? And and I've realized doing our, our mastermind that Brandon and I host multiple times a year, we end every mastermind with the Vivid Vision. Vivid Vision was a book written by Harold Cameron or Cameron Harold. Sorry, Cameron Harold. Uh, and and we we use it right. So we actually have we spend the last couple hours of every mastermind we host doing the vivid vision with people and my vivid vision always keeps coming back to a single day right basically not the perfect day it's more like the perfect state of mind in that day uh and you know brandon wants to be a billionaire i don't give a shit about that i don't know i don't want to be a billionaire right i don't if i am cool it's not because i worked for it <laughs> like it's gonna just happen because i maybe i just built maybe if I stay, my state, like i don't know how this makes this makes sense to me so sorry guys but uh If it's because of what I'm doing today is where my highest and best use is, um, my peace of mind is what I want in that moment is happening, such as like I'm with my family, I'm able to have those freedom option choices to go do what I choose to do at that time, such as maybe I want to go build five businesses, maybe I don't, I want to be able to scale down, I want to be able to scale up, I want to be able to take six months off, I want to be able to work my ass off for six months, I want to be able to have all those options so that I can live with my best life for me, and my family, and and if that means that I'm going to play video games all day, then that's my best. That's my why, right? If it, but I have the ability to do that. Does that make sense? Like, uh, if it means like today my kid's sick, right? We just found out a few hours ago. I'm like, okay, cool. So when I'm off this call for you guys, I'm canceling all my appointments, right? Because I can do that, right? Because I'm a grown up, and so I'm going to go do that. That's going to become my purpose now.
2: But so I would know. you say your why? then and now is for freedom
0: it's always been for freedom
2: so but it's that's what it's freedom
0: freedom impact choices options yada 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 uh i love people that have a way bigger purpose than themselves and i and they know it and they live it and they're driven by it right i I get i got to meet, meet tim tebow not that long ago and hear him speak too and when you hear him speak right yeah i I don't know crap about this guy right like i was just at a charity thing and it happened to be his his was a charity i got kind of got went to it last minute that guy has a huge passion and purpose for his life with what he does with uh human trafficking and and whatnot and so some of the things he does with special needs kids too in third world countries like you feel it you hear it and i get like not jealous is the wrong word i'm like enthralled by it right like like this guy knows his purpose right for what he's doing I would love to have that. <laughs> like, that sounds great. Right. Uh, at least I think I would like to have that. I just haven't, I just don't have that.
2: Freedom. That's, that's, that's,
1: yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go for it. No, man. That's, that's awesome, man. I don't want to keep you too long. So, uh, is there, um, Hey, next time you're in Orange County, man, let us know. Uh, we have a few properties. We'll, we'll love to host you. You could just stay in one of our places. We have a bunch in Orange County. That sounds in fun. Well, we'll, we'll go to Laguna, get drunk, uh, you know have a Where did you guys go to is it called the loft what was this skyloft so no, we were at the
0: uh it's that fancy hotel that's there that's on the coast oh uh, I know. super I fancy it. one yeah i know so i know this one okay that's overpriced That's cool. what put that <laughs> <laughs> overpriced yeah there's an, there. There an event that was that we were both at so
1: okay uh we'll try to come to i'll try to come to the limitless event man next year i know but kenny was talking about it on his podcast with uh, daniel Um okay, that sounds good. Uh how can people get a hold of you?
0: Uh Instagram, there's a lot of fake ones out there of me though. So it's at Tarl Yarber. Uh actually my real name, T-A-R-L Yarber Y-A-R-B-E-R. If it has any other symbols around it, it's fake account. It's kind of weird how that happened. Like there's a shit ton of fake accounts out there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. The uh maybe we should that's
1: how you know you made it, man. If you have a fake account, you made it.
2: I was gonna say, Vince, I think we're losers, man. No (laughs) one's Andrew McCormick dash <laughs> yeah. one like, seven. Yeah,
0: I would, I would pay $8 on Instagram to get a freaking blue check. I just wanted to say that out loud. So, <laughs> that, very, so that way know the people, so, because the verification process is such bullshit on Instagram. Uh, it's so subjective, yeah. uh, but besides one. So on Instagram, also we do have a lending business, so I'm going to selfishly promote that uh, you can definitely check us out fixatedfunding.com. Uh, we do hard money lending and we do small multifamily, mostly single family. Those are kind of bread and butter. Uh, and if you're interested in that, you, I will give you my funding email, right. Uh, which is tarl at fixated funding. So, and that's the best way to get a hold of me.
1: And then you just do debt. You don't do any equity, uh,
0: uh, uh, lending. It's just mostly just debt. Uh, we, it's funny that you asked that, right. Um, we are considering doing a private equity fund right now um for that main purpose so we can do more jv partnerships with people we're we're right now actually in about was it december 4th or 5th i'm meeting with uh two people that we were discussing partnering on something like that where we would create a fund uh my lending business would be a portion of it but uh The fund would be dedicated to where we could bring like private equity to other operators because i used to get my money from private equity companies at one point um or one of them one of the ways that i did it uh the difference that we would do is we'd also add operational support so we have a tremendous amount of systems and operations that we've built over the years to be able to do single family even better so why not find awesome local operators somewhere and be like hey we're going to give you money. You bring the deal. You got to work the deal, but here's also some really cool support that's going to help you out as well. Uh, so let's partner up together. Right. So we're looking at building that out right now as our next generation of what we do on a real estate arm. So,
1: oh, you should do it, dude. If you ever want yeah. to get involved in Orange County real estate, I know a couple yeah. of guys. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. yeah. That sounds good, man. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, dude. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.